0: motherhood is something that is discussed in some african books and those books are majorly written by female authors and we see that most male authors do not explore that aspect because they they fail to capture the essence of motherhood and i feel like in this book zikora by chimamanda ungozi adichie she has been able to capture that in her book And it's a short story of 35 pages, which is something that you can read in one sitting, basically. And I enjoyed reading this book, and I really expected more from it. Here is one part that actually got to me. If he was going to have a child, of course he should have a say. But how much of a say, since nature demanded so much of the woman, and so little of the man? Well, I'm not trying to say that this book is about feminism or trying to pick out patriarchy in society, but I would definitely say that this book has the theme of, as a major theme of motherhood. It just shows that women have more responsibility when it comes to childbearing and responsibility taking responsibility for the child because in the society we see today we see that sometimes whenever a child turns out a certain way the blame tends to fall on the mother and back to what i'm trying to say here i'm going to say that this book is about zikora zikora is the female lead in this book and she she was dumped by her partner because she got pregnant and we see that the story starts from when she was in the hospital, and she said there's this element of flashback where she starts reminiscing on what her past decisions leading up to this moment where she is. And then she, her mother is there at the hospital beside her, and she begins to also understand why her mother is the way she is. So it all falls down to motherhood and the relationship between a mother and her child and this zikara begins to understand fully as she becomes a new mother herself the story is about 25 pages long and i'm going to be reading 15 or 20 or 10 pages from this book today so you guys can have a picture of what. This book is all about, and I really enjoy reading books. And I think anyone who enjoys reading books will really love listening to this podcast. So I'm going to start in five, four, three, two, one. Um, notes that this book is not divided into chapters, so I'm going to start now. Page five. All through the night, my mother sat near me, but never touched me. Once, I screamed, a short scream that lands the air in the hospital room. And she said, that's how labor is, in Igbo. And I wanted to say, no shit. But of course, she didn't understand colloquial Americanisms. I had prepared for pain, but this was not mere pain. It was something like pain and different from pain. It sat like fire in my back, spreading to my thighs, squeezing and crushing my insides, pulling downward, spiraling. It felt like the Old Testament, a plague. A primitive wind blowing at will, evil but purposelessly so, and overcoming in my body that didn't need to be. Hour after hour of this, and yet the nurses said I wasn't progressing. You are not progressing, the smaller nurse said, as though it were my fault. The room felt too warm and then too cold. My arms itched, my scalp itched, and malice lay over me like a mist. I wanted nothing touching my body. I yanked off my hospital gown, the flimsy blue fabric with its effect dangling robes that gaped open at the back as if designed to humiliate. <laughs> Naked, I perched on the edge of the bed and wretched. Relief was impossible. Everything was impossible. I stood up, sat down, and then I got to my hands and knees, my taut belly hanging in between. The clenching in my lower body came and went. Random, irregular, like mean surprises. The bigger nose was saying something. I shouted at her, I need it now. You will get the epidural soon, she said. The smaller nurse needed to check me. I rolled onto my back, an invasion of fingers. She was gloved, and I could see her nails. I couldn't see her nails. But her false eyelashes coming from her upper eyelids like black feathers made me worry that her nails were long and sharp and would pierce through my latex and puncture my uterus. I turned stop. "'Bring your feet up and let your legs fall apart,' she said. "'What?' "'Bring your feet up and let your legs fall apart.' "'Let your legs fall apart.' "'What did that even mean? "'How could my legs fall apart?' I began to laugh. From somewhere outside myself, I heard the hysteria in my laughter. Do not look at me with resigned expression of a person who had seen all forms of madness that overtook birthing women laying on their backs with their bodies open to the world. You are not progressing, again, she said. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to continue now, okay? My doctor came in looking on very calm. Dr. K, something is wrong. I just know something is wrong, I said. My body was turning on me in spasms and wrenches I had never before known, each with dark promise of its own return. Something should be wrong. Childbeds could not be disgratulators and cruel. Nothing is wrong, Zikora. It's all normal. I am tired. I am so tired. I said in my mind, the image of Chin-Yere pregnant and dead on a hospital floor. Epidural is almost here. I know it's difficult, but you are feeling a perfectly normal feeling. You don't know how it feels, I said. Before today, he was the lovely Iranian doctor I had chosen for the compassion in his eyes. Today... He was a monstrous man, pontificating opacly about things he would never experience. Wilt was normal. That nature traded in unnecessary pain. It wasn't his intestines being set on fire after all. I caught my mother's glance, the icy expression she had when I was a child and did something in public where she couldn't slap me right away as she would have liked. Once, I was about nine... My father's second wife, Auntie Juan Nika, had just had a baby, my brother, Ugona. To visit the baby, my mother asked me to wear a going-out dress, red and full-skirted as though for church. Auntie One Acre offered us plantain and fish. The house smelled of delicious frying, and my mother said, No, thank you, that we are just eaten. But when I went to pee, I told Aunt Ponywa I was hungry and she brought me a plate, smiling, her face plump and fresh. Later, as we walked to the car, my mother slapped me. Don't disgrace me like that ever again, she said calmly. For a long time, I remember that soft invertigo, feeling surprise rather than pain as her palm struck the back of my head. I was disgracing her now. I was not facing labor with laced-up dignity. She wanted me to meet each rush of pain with a mute grinding of teeth, to endure pain with pride, to embrace pain even. When I had severe cramps as a teenager, she would say, Bear it. This is what it means to be a woman. And it was years before I knew that girls took buscopan for period pain. The Epidural Person A pale-faced man with a reddish moustache was saying, ''I need your help to get this done, okay? I need you to be very still, okay?'' He did not inspire confidence with his false chair and his saying, ''Okay?'' so often. I began to wonder if he was qualified, where he had trained, whether his animation was issued for incompetence. ''That's your mom?'' he asked. ''Hi mom, I'd like you to help us out here, okay?'' If you can hold her so she doesn't move before he finished speaking my mother still seated on the armchair said she can manage the smaller nurse raised her eyebrows it made no sense to be angry with the nurse but i was angry with the nurse why did she have to make that face did you really surprise her did other mothers sit there overnight as my mother had still as a coffin glasses gold framed, face perfectly powdered in mac nc45 was she thinking that it should have been me, the father of my baby, here with me? How dare she judge me? Was the father of her children in her life? Was her outlandish lashes and all? She probably had three children, each with different father. And here she was judging me for having a cold mother instead of a husband by my side. I would have right written a complaint about her ridiculous lashes. The labor and delivery ward need to have a false eyelash policy. I would have chosen a different hospital if my health insurance company hadn't been so difficult about things. I felt angry and I felt ugly and I welcomed both like a bitter refuge. The epidural man would not stop talking. As still as you can, okay? Don't flinch, okay? I bent over and hugged my pillow and held still. There was the cold smell of a liquid on my back and the brief prick of a needle. Tears filled my eyes. My anger began to curdle into a darkness close to grief. It really should be Kwame here with me, holding me, sitting on the chair of my mother was in, finding a way to make a joke about Nutty. In a rush, I reached for my cell phone and sent him a text. I am in labor at East Memorial. I held on to my phone in the delivery room and I kept checking it. Willing Kwame's reply to appear on the screen until my doctor asked me to push. Oh, okay guys, I'm taking a break from reading this. I have read about three pages. Four pages and now I'm just going to comment make a comment on what I've read so far what you've read so far is basically the rantings of a woman in labor and we can feel how angry and how cranky she was feeling at that moment and then towards the end of this of this char- char- paragraph she thinks of her partner named Kwame and how he should be here by her side when she's in labor. And that's just, I want to introduce the character Kwame now. And when I start reading, I'm going to be introducing how they met. So stay stay tuned. We met at a book launch that I almost didn't go to. A woman I worked with had left the firm to write a cookbook and she launched it downtown in a rooftop space with someone at the microphone describing each complicated canopy carved. After the author introduced us, Kwame leaned towards me and said with a casual intimacy that wasn't appropriate, inappropriate, as though we already knew each other, but only as good friends. When they say something tastes nutty, do we know which nuts they mean? Because it will not taste nothing like a cashew nut. Mm, I think they mean a texture, not a taste, I said, then laughed, a little too eagerly because I hadn't expected to meet anyone, and now here was a clean-looking black man and a thrill in the air. On our first date, he said, Looking naughty good. He had a boyish quality which was not, as in some men, make cover for immaturity. He was a grown up who could still touch in himself the wonder and innocence of childhood. Naughty became our word, an adverb, an endearment, an adjective, and even when it wasn't funny, it was still ours. On the day we broke up, he said, looking me over, Naughty dress. Neither of us knew we would break up at that evening as we went to his law firm's gala, holding hands, him in a dark suit, me in an emerald dress, my hair in a bouncy twist out, a young black couple in Washington, D.C., with attentives so free of restlessness. He volunteered details about his life and at first his openness confused me. Because I had dated men who were so guarded, they made secrets of simple things. When Kwame saw me, he let his face show. It's light. He didn't hide. He didn't pretend not to care too much. He said, I love you, before I did. He was supposed to be like other single straight, successful black men in Washington, D.C., intoxicated by their own rarity. Replete with romance opportunities. Always holding out for the next better thing. For the first few weeks, I held my breath, waiting. He was too much what I wanted. It was too good. He would change, crack open and reveal the sinister centre. But he didn't change. And soon I unfurled woolly into our lives together. I was a little older than him but sometimes I felt older, as though I knew better than how uneven life seems could be. It puzzled me that he could not see the insincerity in people or the ill will of some friends, which was often as obvious to me as brightly colored satin. He said jokingly that I needed to vet his friends to protect him, a joke with the undertones of truth. You would have probably warned me about Jamali, he said once with a laugh. Jamali, the long-term girlfriend from college and into law school, who cheated on him and left him reeling, single and celebrate for years. He said he loved how I got him. And what was unsaid was that Jamila hadn't. He said how similar our backgrounds were, and yet it felt to me that his American childhood was more restrained and more fraught than my African one. He grew up with his dreams already dreamt for him. There was his Ghanaian father's immigrant intensity and there was his African-American mother from Virginia, determined to open for him so many doors that had been closed to her. He and his younger brother had violin lessons and went to private school in formal uniforms and every summer, his father pasted reading lists on the refrigerator and arranged tutors on the weekends. He had barely gotten his acceptance to Cornell before his father was talking about law school. The first time he took me to Sunday lunch at his parents' house in Bedster, I was surprised by his father's effusive want, his mother's deliciously sly humour. I hadn't quite expected to enjoy them and to be at ease with them. But I knew too that the approval would have come slower had I not the right bonafides my Georgetown degree, my wealthy Nigerian family. We went in the summer to his mother's family reunion and I was moved that Kwame had ordered a T-shirt for me too, with their family being printed beside an image of the multi-branded tree. I watched him through a frisbee with the teenage boys and I could see how much they liked and looked up to him. This handsome and older cousin, a DC lawyer with his pockets full of cool, I was sitting in the shade eating watermelon with his parents and saw the pride and the eloquence of their body language. He had turned out as they hoped. The women relatives flirted with him and he, generously, harmlessly paid them lavish compliments. He charmed people without trying. I felt myself sitting up straighter as though I had won a prize I was not sure I deserved and so needed to prove my worthiness. He was the kind of man you married, the kind people called minutes into minutes into meeting him, a good man. We didn't talk about marriage itself, but we talked often of the future. When we would do and wouldn't do in five years, what would we do and wouldn't do in five years? In ten years, as though we both knew what's inevitable, that we would be together. Water. This is why it's best to wait for the right person and not just settle. I said over FaceTime to my cousin, Emilia Ku. I was boasting, actually, Carlos boast. Only days before, Emilia Ku has said, Emmanuel still wants to wait until I'm asleep. Then he climbs on me. And of course, I'm dry. And when I wake up, I'm in pain. 16 years. She had settled She had been living at home after university graduation, working as a contract staff in telecom customer service, the kind of middling job that asked little of her and promised nothing to her. Her parents expected her home before 9 p.m. every day. Her penniless boyfriend lived in his uncle's boys' quarters and was looking for money to go to China and try his luck in import exports. And then came Emmanuel, older and wealthy, holding his intentions like jewels. To marry Emmanuel was her only way into the world of adults. I did not understand this then. I had moved to America for college, and after a few years away, the pressures of Nigerian life seemed easier to overcome. Why didn't she run off to channel with the guy she loved? What did it's time to get married mean anyway? Why did she have to marry at all? She had laughed at me. Please, I'm not in America like you. Daddy will never allow me to get my own place and Emmanuel is nice. Nice. I don't think that is how you describe a man you want to marry, I told her. Nice. <laughs> and Emiliaku laughed some more. Emiliaku my cousin with the beautiful name Water of Wells. Wealth. Wealths water wealth like a river. The cousin that was like a sister, clever. Emiliacal who had advised me and taught me things, was now marrying a man who had advised who had asked her to stop working because he could afford to keep her at home. They had been married only a few weeks when Emmanuel said he didn't want her friend to visit them anymore because married women shouldn't keep single friends. Hmm. I once told Kwame's story and he rolled his eyes in a kind of disbelieving amusement. What single friend will seduce the husband or the single friend will make the wife want to be single again? <laughs> Maybe both. He sounds like a sad specimen, Kwame said. I like the description, sad specimen, because it casts Emmanuel as apart, a different species of man and therefore completely removed from Kwame himself. On the day we broke up, we went back to my apartment after the gala, and I told Kwame, So, I'm very late, and I'm never late. He looked confused. I might be pregnant. I was so certain of his delight that I made my tone playful, almost sing song, but his face didn't relax. Instead, it went still as though all his features had paused, and suddenly this communicative man retreated into the cryptic. He said, We are at different places in our lives. He said, I will take care of everything. In a voice that belonged to someone else, in words he had heard somewhere else, take care of everything. How absurd. We were both lawyers and I earned a little more than he did. He said, it's a shock. I said, you came inside me. He said, I thought you would let me because you had protection. I said, what are you talking about? You know I stopped taking the pill because it made me fat and I assumed you knew what it meant, what it could mean. He said, there was miscommunication. Kwame, I finally said, in a plea and a prayer, looking at him, loving him. Our conversation felt juvenile, an unreal air hung over us. I wanted to say, I'm 39 and you are 37, employed and stable. I have a key to your apartment. Your clothes are in my closet. And I'm not sure what conversation we should be having, but it shouldn't be this one. I wanted to rewind and redo, have us walk into my apartment again, laughing, me saying, let's make margaritas, and him saying, I really want to sleep. Then I saw it, the almost imperceptible shrug, a shrug, he shrugged, his response was a shrug, from the deepest vaults of his being, a shrug. I think I should leave. Is that okay? He asked as though he needed my permission to abandon me. He would kill you but he would do it cautiously. (sighs) Okay guys, I have read about two more pages and I have to really comment on this. This was the moment where they they broke up finally and we see that she end up being the one taking responsibility for her pregnancy alone. And we see this very perfect black man, perfect suitor for her, whom she thought she would actually end up spending forever with, but he decided to leave her at the point at her point of need, the point where they're supposed to be even closer because she had expected more from him. So this is a story of a single mother who 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 end up going through motherhood alone so i think i'm going to stop reading here as much as i would love to continue reading the background noise is just too much and i want to stop now because everywhere is getting noisy yeah it is a repetition i know so i'm going to leave my thoughts on this book now there is one other quote that really got to me I looked at the mother standing by the window how had I never really seen her it was my father who destroyed and it was my mother I blamed for the ruins left behind when you read the book you realize that Zikora starts to look back at her mother's past because her father left her mother to be with another woman and he, he left her mother behind and abandoned them. And at first Zikora had blamed her mother. But now that she becomes a mother herself, a single mother at that, she become, she begins to realize that her mother actually tried, and it's not easy being a single mother especially when you could have a partner by your side especially when the man fails to take responsibility um zikora is really a beautiful story honestly it's a a very nice short story that you guys need to read although the ending i really wanted more action like it ended with her like coming to terms that she's a new mother and i really wish there was more to the story you know although from the story we get that there is a hope of a new beginning in this mother and child relationship first there's a hope in the relationship between she and her mother between zikora and her mother because they really had a foul relationship at first but now she she understands her mother better and there is this new relationship between zikora and her child and yeah, that's is a really nice story. And I really enjoy short stories. In fact, I'm reading this book by Stephen King, Night Shift, the collection of horror short stories. And Zikora was really good and um, Shimar writes really good short stories. And Zikora was low-key giving me Americana vibes, you know. But it's an entirely different story. But the characters seem to have similar shri- similar traits. Like African moving living in the diaspora sort of thing. So, we've come to the end of this podcast. So, should you read this book or not? I think you should read it. I Me mean, you can finish it in less than two hours. I would have't finished it right now, but I want you guys to go and read it and you can get this book in on Kindle and Amazon Prime. You can also get it from bookstores, but I'm really talking about the ebook version. You can also get the audiobook version on Amazon Prime and lastly you can get the ebook from my ebook store i have a store on instagram where i sell ebooks I have a variety and i also take book requests but zikora is definitely available if you want it is sold for for just text me on instagram so thank you guys for listening to my podcast and don't forget to tune in next time for something new get new episode every time so basically new topic new topic every time so i'm done ranting i'm done ranting i don't know how to end this podcast but i am done ranting bye